All right, so I want to start out this message by telling you all about my first mission trip. And there is a tie. Uh, you see, Paul, he was an apostle, but he also went on a number of, of mission trips. They were a little bit different than mine. They were long journeys planting churches. Um, and he wrote this letter to Romans in his third missionary journey. Uh, but my first mission trip, I went to uh, Vic, Spain. And there's, there's different kinds of mission trips. So some are like um, building homes to the poor, or helping schools, or um, sharing the gospel, playing churches. There's lots of different ways people can go about it. This mission trip was really mostly about evangelism. It's just going on and teaching the good news of Jesus to others, talking, having conversations with others. And uh, it was a long way to travel to have these conversations. So, so we go through some training. We get ready to go. And we head to this, this small town uh, about 50 miles north of Barcelona. And also, we were also in Barcelona, so kind of both. And uh, I remember the, the first day we go out, and we, it, it took a lot of effort to get there. So this is, this is a big thing. So like we, I went there more than once, but I think this first trip, I think we took a bus to Chicago, flew to Spain, took another bus from Madrid to Barcelona, and then took a train from Barcelona to Vic. I mean, it was, it was a long, big effort. Uh, and so we get out, and it's me and a partner, and my partner, she spoke fluent Spanish. That's why we were paired up, because I speak muy poco. And, um, and she's also an extrovert, which is great, because uh, I, can, I can talk to people in general. I'm kind of in the middle, but I, I like people. So we go out, and we start walking the streets. And I'm a new believer this time, so I've been a Christian maybe a year or so. And we're walking around this town, and the whole goal we're there is to talk with people about Christ. Uh, and, and we walk by somebody. I'm like, no, not that one. <laughs> walk by, no, not that one. And we did that for like an hour. Like, it was like we just kept walking around the city, seeing people we could talk to or just, just start a conversation with. And I was afraid. And what's funny is even though my partner was really extroverted, my fear rubbed off. And then she didn't want to initiate because I would initiate. And uh, it, was, it was scary to engage. Eventually we got there and, and it, like, we did start talking to people and it was good. But it took a while. Second confession, uh, I'm the pastor who often organizes some of the door-to-door activities we do. So like prayer on the porch or just inviting people to events. But I'll tell you that uh, I actually, when those days are coming, I don't look forward to those days. I get nervous about them. Like I'm like, man, what if, what if the person doesn't like me or gets mad at me? Or what if I get bit by a dog? You know, like who knows what's going to happen? We're going out into the, into the community. Uh, and I have those thoughts. And so when we get to this passage this morning in Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul, in verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and also for the Greek. And I bet for many of you, when you read that, you think about situations like that, situations where you were uncomfortable or you were afraid or there was like a concerted, very like outward effort. Uh, and I would say, I don't think that's predominantly what Paul is talking about here. I don't think that's the, the, the emphasis of his message. That's a, a caricature of what he's talking about. So a caricature is like you see something and then it's like they amplify aspects of it to like make it comical. And I would say that's, that's, there's elements of that where it's true. Like we can be ashamed going out in the community. Um, but more so, I think what he's talking about is just like his life. Like I'm not ashamed of my life. T- wherever I go, Jesus is number one. He, he has the power to save everyone who believes. And so as we, we're talking about this, I would say as much as you can, try to erase those situations that are, like, that, that are more events than they are our lives. And be thinking about what does this mean in my life? Like what does this mean as I walk with the Lord every day? The pattern of my life. 
And uh, what we're going to be talking about is, is as Paul writes this letter to Rome, we get to see his heart. We get to see like what he's excited about and why he's excited. And uh, I think that there are some attitudes in the things that he writes, so we can like interpret like what is what's like the driving force, and how is that shown in his attitude towards these people that can serve us? Because I think in doing gospel ministry, uh, meaning uh, living a, a life that honors God in in all ways, uh, really a lot of that comes down to our attitude as we start to go out, as we like leave our front door. Even as we wake up, get our head off the pillow, these things still need to be true. So uh, we're going to be looking at Paul's gospel ministry attitudes that hopefully are an encouragement to us. And my hope is that, that there will be some to-dos. There will be some like, hey, this, this makes sense. That what you leave with is not a list of to-dos, but you leave with energy, energy understanding, like I understand the love of God more. I understand how I relate to God more. I understand Paul's heart and how he understood God more. And because of this love of Christ, I want to love the world. I want to I pass this on. And so the, the goal, the, the, the main statement I would say you could leave with is that you should nurture gospel attitudes because they serve you and those you minister to. Uh, we want to be nurturing gospel attitudes because they serve you, but they also serve those you minister to. And so we're looking at three attitudes that Paul had. What are three things that, that we can pull from this text? One is, is genuine thankfulness. Paul was genuinely thankful. He had genuine humility, and he had genuine eagerness. I hope we see all of these. So Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, he is, he's been following Jesus for 20 years. He's on his third missionary journey. He's writing this letter from Corinth. But Paul, he was a Roman citizen. He wasn't born in Rome, but he... he uh, he was born in Tarsus. He was born in Turkey, but he was a Roman citizen. So he would have had some understanding of their people and their customs. Um, but the 20 years since he got saved on the road to Damascus, he has not been there. This is not his place. And so he's writing to a, this letter to a people he's predominantly never met. So he, he, they're new to him. You're going to see at the end, in, in 16, there are a few people that have traveled there that he knows. But we don't even know how the church started. Like, how did the church in Rome begin? I don't know. Uh, at Pentecost, we see that there were some Romans there, so they might have uh, traveled back and brought it with them, or maybe there was, there was somebody like Paul who brought it there. It does make sense, though, because all roads lead to Rome. So, of course, the gospel got there. Uh, I, I say that in jest, but it is the type of place that Rome was. It was the, the epicenter of the, the, it was the, of the ancient world. Uh, they were known for their governance. They were known for their military might. They were known for their art. And the thing that I know them for, most importantly, is that they trailblazed plumbing, indoor plumbing. So thank you. Thank you, Rome. We are all indebted to you. They're important to the world. And so the gospel is there too. And so Paul, he's excited about Rome. He's like, yeah, I, I want to be there with these people. And the Romans, they're, they're actually still making waves in society. Uh, admittedly, I don't have TikTok, because if I did, it would take me hours and hours to curate all my content for the billions of followers I would have. But um, I, I did hear about this TikTok trend that I thought was so funny as we talk about this message. And that's that uh, someone asked their spouse, or a, uh, a man in their life, that they, they started asking them, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? Uh, I don't know why that's a thing, but it was a thing. And then they would film it, and it would be on TikTok, you know. And uh, what was surprising about it is how many people said all the time, like a lot. <laughs> like, what? A lot. Yeah, like all, every day. Uh, like, there's this, this woman, I, I watched one of them, of this lady, she, she talked to her brother. So they're in like their 30s probably, maybe late 20s. And she was like, hey, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And he was like, oh, 
three to four times a week. She was like, what? And she started to laugh at him. And then he brought her to his computer, and he showed her his Roman Colosseum that he built on Minecraft that he'd spent weeks building. Uh, Rome is still a thing. It was important then. Paul wanted to be there. It's important now. Um, I don't think about the Roman Empire, so don't, don't ask me, but you can ask your friends. Um, so it's an important place. Listen to Paul's words about this, this important city he, he has not been to. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, telling the good news about his son that I constantly mention you. Always ask my prayers that if it's somehow in God's will, I may now at least succeed in coming to you. Paul's like, man, I want the gospel to just be super clear in Rome, and I want us to be mutually encouraged. I'm, I'm so thankful for you. And so he says, I'm praying to God. So what's the first attitude that we can, that we, we can nurture, uh, that we can imitate? It's genuine thankfulness. We want to be like Paul, have, uh, have the same heart. We want to have genuine thankfulness. He says, first, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Uh, he was excited about this church. And so he's constantly asking God, God, can I go there? Like, I'm ready. Can I go? Can I go? Can I go? And God's like, no, 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 not yet. Nope. Uh, and it reminds me of, of, like, kids. Like, my kids, they want to do something. They just keep asking. They keep asking. Or they, like, tap you on the shoulder. I'm like, I'm in a conversation. I'm in a conversation. They just keep tapping. I feel like that's what Paul was like about going to Rome. He's like, I really want to go to Rome. Why? I'm so excited about their faith. Do you see how their faith is affecting the world? And I can influence even more what's happening there. I can enhance it. I can build it up. And so he had this mentality. I love the church there, and I want to bless it. I want to support it. And really, Paul just loved the church. That's the truth. Paul was all about the church of God. Every letter, almost every letter that he writes, when it begins, you'll see in the first chapter him confessing his love to the church. It's awesome. And so, for example, in Ephesus, he says, The faithful saints of Christ Jesus at Ephesus. This is why, since I heard about your faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you, as I remember you in my prayers. And he wrote something like that in almost all of his letters. Like, I just love God's people. I'm all about them. I'm all about you, church, in this city. Uh, and this is, this is interesting because I think sometimes we don't have the same positive attitude about churches, whether it be our church or Christians in general. And it's because, one reason is because the church is full of people who sin, who, who wrong one another. And it can be easy to get down on God's people. It can be easy to be frustrated with God's people. And so I wonder, how can Paul be genuinely thankful? So how can Paul be genuinely thankful when he sees sin and brokenness in churches? Like If he sees these things, how can he still be excited about the church. Well, one main reason I think he sees how God is working. So he sees God is doing these things and, and he's hearing about them or he's there. So he's participating in it. That's one reason. But I think the second reason, more importantly, is that he trusts God. So he is, um, he believes that God's been doing something in these people because he knows that God is going to be the sanctifier, the one who makes them more and more like Christ. So when he writes the, the church in Philippi, this is what he says to them. How can Paul be genuinely thankful? Because he believes God's going to finish his work. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it's right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart, and you're all partners with me in grace both in my imprisonment, my defense, and confirmation 
of the gospel. He's so thankful because he says, listen, I know that what God did, like that when he saved you, like you weren't Jesus, but, but, but he's working in you. He's developing you. You're becoming more and more like Christ. And when you screw up or when you're not going the right direction, he says, listen, I also need the grace of God. We are partners in the grace of God. And so he says, I'm going to trust that God's finishing his work in you. And so I'm actually thankful for you. And he doesn't start with, like, every, every church that he writes to has issues. Like, they've got things. And as you read the letters, you continue, he usually gets to those things. Like in Philippi, uh, false teachers had crept in. There was some infighting among the saints. He gets there. But he wants them to know first, listen, I love you, and I trust that God is doing work there. So how do we uh, work? How do we nurture to grow this thankful attitude? Uh, especially when you're not feeling thankful. Uh, I think it has to be nurtured. So nurture thankfulness, work to be thankful. Uh, there may be relationship situations that need tending to, that you have to like work through. I'm not saying like just, just put a smile on your face and pretend. Um, I'm saying work through things, but, but really the thankfulness is not about our circumstances. It's about God. Uh, we're trusting God in these things. And over time, there is a natural tendency to take one another for granted. Uh, some more than others, but I think in most of us, to some degree, we are taking one another for granted. Uh, for instance, I felt, I felt this a lot with my siblings. When I was growing up, I had a brother who was five years older, my brother Matt, and uh, we fought all the time. So we, we, we liked each other. We were like kind of friends, but also he was my five-year-old, five-year-older brother who beat me up and like picked on me and told me bad jokes, like, you know, all those things. And when my brother left for college, it was so weird. It was like the switch came on and we became friends. Why? I think uh, because we stopped taking each other for granted. Like He like saw me as a person. I saw him as a person. And then when we were together, it was like, oh, I love all these things about you. Like We are, we are actually friends. And the same thing happened with my sister. My sister's two years older. Uh, I don't think this always happens, but I think often this happens. You know, like they're not stealing last pizza pizza or all the, the hot water from the shower. And, um, you know, the things that drive me crazy or probably drove them crazy, actually. Uh, and so... It can be that way with the church, though. We can, we can see these people that, that love well and we're excited about, and then we just kind of like assume it's always going to be that way and, and forget how fortunate we are. And so we want to have the same attitude as Paul, thankful for what God is doing in ourselves, but also for what he's doing in his church. And sometimes, uh, often as people, we focus on the bad because the bad things need correcting and the good things can just continue. I know I do this as a parent. Like when my kids do something like, I can get frustrated, and I like try to correct the thing with my kids like right away. But if they do something good. I'm just like, yeah, that's what they're supposed to do. Like, keep going, you know. But I don't say that. I don't even, I don't even celebrate it. I'm just, I just assume it. Uh, and so it can be easy to focus on the, the bad things or the hard things. But really, in reality, we need to be, continue to affirm the good things, to, to to be working on our own hearts and allow God to be working, His Spirit to be working in us, in this gospel attitude. And I chose the word nurture thankfulness because to nurture something, like what do you nurture? You, you nurture one, you nurture little kids who are uh, undeveloped. They're going to grow up to be big, strong adults. And so they take forming and shaping or you nurture little plants. <coughs> Excuse me. You nurture little plants. So there's this little fragile thing that could easily die and you have to like water it, give it enough sunlight and protect it so that it would grow up and be fruitful. Uh, to have these, these attributes we're talking about, they have to be supported. We have to like, actually focus on them so that uh, they're stronger and they can, they can produce fruit in us in the long run. And so uh, what should we do in, in each of these areas, so that these, these three attitudes? We're going to talk about one way we can be nurturing it. 
There are lots of ways to nurture these things. These are the ways that I, I'm like, hey, I think I see this, and this makes sense to me. But you could be like, hey, I want to nurture thankfulness, and I think I could be doing this. Great. Uh, do that thing. So what is, what is a way to nurture thankfulness? We see Paul, he's, he, he prays, and he thanks God for the saints. What can we do? We can pray, and we can thank God for the people around us, for the saints here, for the saints in other churches. Thank God for people who are following the Lord. He says, I'm praying constantly. I'm always praying. So why is prayer the thing? Like, how does prayer help us? Well, one, prayer, it's really good because of what we're praying. Like, God might change things about people or in people's lives or in their circumstances. But also in prayer, it changes us. We're for people. You know, it, it, um, I think one of the pastors, they said that you, you pray for the people you love and you love the people you pray for. You pray for the people you love and you love the people you pray for. Uh, it's, it generates something inside of you. And so all of a sudden, you're for that person. When you see them, you're not like, remember that thing that they hurt my feelings with? You're like, oh, remember, I'm, I'm hoping that God does this in their life. The thing about prayer is it's, it's, we can pray corporately. We do as a church. Once a month, we get together. We pray in community groups. But also, prayer is alone with us and God. And when you pray for people alone, you're not getting an outward benefit. So we can do other things in, in the life of being a Christian, where it can like kind of mess our minds a little bit. Like we can serve other people, but as we serve them, often we get something in return. Like they're thankful, and we like see the smile on their face, and we, we can feel good about ourselves. And God's not against that. But about prayer is like people don't see us praying. Like you're not getting this immediate benefit from someone else. It's really just you and the Lord. And God begins to change you, but he's also working in those other people. And so we want to nurture thankfulness more and more. We want to pray and thank God. And Paul actually commands this. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, he says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray constantly. Uh, and so I think that uh, thankfulness, it's, it's, it's sort of like a muscle. Like All these things are like muscles. They're, they're, they're there in you, but maybe you're like, this is hard for me. Like I'm a pessimist, or this is hard for me because of this. And I would say, work on it. Like As you get stronger, it gets easier. Like, it, it, less and less difficult. So Paul, he's pumped all these Christians in Rome. He, he's thankful for them. That's his attitude. I'm so thankful for you. What's another, another gospel ministry attitude, attitude that we can glean from him? Uh, it would be genuine humility. Paul had genuine humility. Uh, it's pretty clear. Paul, he's the man, right? So he's an apostle. He wrote about half the books of the New Testament. So he's, he's, he's the big dog. <coughs> And then he says this, I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And I think if we stop there, he'd be like, yeah, okay. Like, that's what Paul's meant to do. He's going to, like, pass on, like, what God has given him. Like, you know, this is great. He says, that is, verse 12, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. He says, it's actually both ways. Like, it's not just me giving, but actually we're going to both benefit from each other. And I think we see that genuine humility, there's a few aspects of humility here, but one aspect of humility is that genuine humility, <clears throat> it sees their fit in the body of Christ. Sees how, we see how we fit. Paul saw how he fit in the body of Christ. So he wants to go to Rome to pass on the message that God had given him. And God has called him specifically to the Gentiles. So he commissions, he says, he says this is where you're going to go. And so yes, there's like a special commissioning for Paul in a lot of ways. But he wants to go to this place, this city, that's strong and important to the world and so that he can live out what God has called him to do. Uh, and in that calling, 
he recognizes this is my role. Like this is how God wants to work in me specifically. This is what God is asking of me. But in doing that, he's not saying it's just for me to give, but actually as I give, I recognize like this is my role in the body, but other people have a role to me. I want to be encouraged by them. I want to be built up by them. I want to see their faith, experience their faith, and be blessed by them. You know, spiritual maturity, it does not preclude someone from needing support. In fact, they might need it more. Like they might, they might go through more difficult things. And so it can be easy to assume that person's fine, they got it going on, they're doing all right. Uh, but Paul, unashamedly, in humility, he says, you can help me. I want to help you. You can help me. Uh, Kent Hughes, he's a uh, uh, commentator. He, he said this. He's, he made this observation I thought it was so helpful. He looked at 1 John chapter 3. And so let's read that, and then, and then we'll look at his observation. He said, What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. So John says, What we've seen and heard, we're telling you guys, so that you may also have fellowship with us. We want to, because of what we've seen here, we're telling you about it, that we, we could have community together, that we could be tight. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And this is Hugh's point. He says, he says, had someone other than humble and experienced John or Paul written this, they would have said, and these things we write so your joy may be made complete. But John and Paul knew very few things will strengthen an older believer's faith more than the vibrant faith of a new believer. On the flip side, there's little that will benefit the new believer more than the exposure to the mature faith of a more experienced brother or sister in Christ. So what John's saying, so that our joy, I'm telling you these things that our joy made complete, not your joy, ours. I'm going to help. You're going to help me. We're going to help each other. I think Paul, he feels that here. He says, I want to come to you. I can bless you, but also you're going to bless me in humility. And so in humility, we, we want to recognize what God has called us to individually. Like what God has wired into you, you're to do. You're to bless the church with. Uh, whatever skill you have, it's like, man, I want to bless you. Whatever gifting you have from the Spirit, it's like, I want to use that to, to build up the church. Uh, I had a brother this week just tell me, he, he's talking about one of the things that God has gifted him in. He said, I feel like I have to do it. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, like, he said, God's given me this thing, and if I don't do it, I'm taking away from the way that God has not gifted or helped other people in the church. Like, this is the thing for me. So I want to make sure that I find time, I make time to live out the way that God has gifted me. And I wasn't surprised by, like, what he was saying. I was surprised at the veracity with which he was saying. He's like, this is really important, and it's important for the whole church. I'm like, okay, perhaps he's right. And so I think as we're humble, we see how do we fit in the body of Christ, and we try to live it out the best we can. Another aspect of genuine humility is it trusts in God's plan. It's a little extra, but Paul, he, he's, he's like, I want to come. I want to come to Rome. I want to come to Rome. And God's like, no, 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 no. And do you know what Paul did? He listened. He's like, okay. Now, it would have made sense for him to go to Rome. Like, it, like it, To me, he should have started in Rome. Like, Why didn't he go there right away? Um, but God said, no, I've got other things for you. And eventually, Paul, he got there, but not as a missionary, but as a prisoner. So he goes there in chains. God had a different plan, and he continued to trust it. Third aspect of genuine humility here we see starting in verse 13. And genuine humility recognizes our debt. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you, but I was prevented until now, in order that I may have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I've had among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. So Paul says, I'm obligated to the Greeks and the barbarians. The, the, 
intelligent and the, the not so intelligent. The <clears throat> uh, well, uh, you get that in the the cultured and the uncultured, or the wise and the foolish. He says, "Every person uh, I've come to teach, I'm obligated." But he's also saying, "I'm the word obligated." Another way to, to see that word is debt. So I've been obligated, or I have a debt to these people. So the question is, like, what obligation does Paul have, or what debt does Paul have? There's a couple ways to have a debt. So a debt could be you borrow money. So like I, I, I borrow $100, now I'm indebted to this person, and I have to give them back $100 or whatever, with interest, whatever. But, but that's, a, that's a debt that we normally think of. So is Paul indebted in that way to these people? No, I don't think there's anything that he owes them in that, in that way. But there's another way we can have a debt. And I have an example for this. Uh, and it's, it's when you're an intermediary for a debt. So this last... Uh, week I played in a, a golf tournament, and um, our team is not not the, the greatest of golfers. We're okay, you know, like we play, we compete, and um, one of the things that you can win is you can be uh, <laughs> like there's like longest putt, longest drive. We didn't win those, um, but there's one where you can hit it closest to the water without going in, and um, not bad. We can do that. We can do that. And sure enough, my partner, uh, Dustin Rowe, he's sitting right here, he hit it closest to the water without going in victoriously. Uh, so he was the best, worst golfer that was there. Um, no, it was actually a really good shot. So I, I'm sort of kidding. It was a great shot. Anyway, uh, but they didn't have the gift card. They're like, he won a prize. And they're like, we don't have the card for you. And see what happened? Uh, the director was like, I'll give it to, to you. So he gives it to me. And so now I am actually in debt to Dustin because I'm holding the $100 of Shields gift money right here. <laughs> Dustin, Dustin. <laughs> Best worst golfer here, Dustin Rome. <laughs> My point with that is that I was, until just now, I was indebted to him. Paul says, I'm indebted to these people. How is he indebted to these people? I think that it's because God has given him the good news of the gospel. He's given, he's given life, he's given hope, he's given... Uh, he's given this blessing to pass on to others. And what's awesome about, about what Jesus has given Paul is that when he gives it, it doesn't go away. Like, he, he has more to give. So, like, when I just give it to Dustin, like, my debt was cleared, but I don't have the $100. So, like, it's not blessing me anymore. It, it, Paul, he, he gives it, and he gives it, and he gives it, but God keeps supplying the gospel in him. So he's saying, I am indebted to these people. And you and I, we've been given this, a similar debt obligation to the world. We're indebted to love and serve Des Moines. We're indebted to, to love and serve our neighbor. And when I say love and serve, I mean like practical needs, but also with the good news, the thing that we've been blessed with the most. Uh, Jesus, he says, go therefore make disciples of all nations. Uh, and humility, we're to pass on what we've received. We, we, we're obligated to these people like Paul felt like he was obligated. So how do we nurture humility? Uh, how do we tr- protect this little part of us? How do we build up this little part that needs to be developed? I would say nurture humility by embracing how God has gifted you. Uh, hold on to your role. Uh, I love this song from when I was a kid from Skilo. He said, um, he, he's a rapper, and he's like, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. And I think those things for me. Like, if I was just a little taller, a little more athletic, uh, and in the church, we can do that. Like, I wish I was a little bit more like this person. I wish I was more like that person. If, I only, if this was only true about me, um, and what we do when we say that is we minimize what God has done in us. You minimize, you trivialize the thing that God's actually calling you to. 
And we can grow in many areas, but also we want to grow most in the area that he's gifted us the most. So either the gifting through receiving of the Spirit, or he's just naturally gifted you, like you're good at this thing. So nurture humility by, by saying, God, how you've made me is how I want to excel. Okay, the third attitude is uh, that, we want to, that for gospel ministry that we want to be nurturing is genuine eagerness. We see Paul, he's like really excited. He says, so I no longer, so he says, verse 15, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are also, also, you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as written, the righteous shall live by faith. And some people say, this is the thesis. This is actually what all of Romans is about, verses 16 and 17. The gospel of God, that's the power of salvation. What is the gospel? Well, it's, it's how the righteous will live by faith. And so we'll get into that, that here in a moment. But sometimes we do, we forget the gospel is the power of salvation. You know, we think the gospel, it just becomes like a pattern of life. And so we, we structure our lives, like we go to church, we go to Bible study, we read our Bible, we, you know, whatever the, the, the pattern is, we kind of like live in a pattern as if that's what it means to walk with and abide in God. And God does set up patterns to serve us, like that, that's not actually wrong either. It's that if we just do it to do it, we just keep like going to the next thing. But in the gospel, Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, no, no, it's all about the power of salvation. It's all about God changing you. It's all about being right with God, that you can walk with God and know God and experience God. The good news is so good, I can't help but share it. So I'm going to keep telling you, I'm not ashamed of it, I'm not embarrassed about it, it's the good news. This reminds me of a story from the Old Testament. So this is from 2 Kings chapter 7. And there's a city, it's, it's, the city is being besieged, so like they can't eat, they can't leave, so they have no food, they're in trouble. And there are some lepers that are outside the city. So, like, these, are, these guys are at the, the gate, and so they're not in this, quite the same boat as the rest of the city. And so that's, that's who this is talking about. So let's pick it up, Second Kings 7, verse 3. It says, There were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we'll die. If we stay here, we'll die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender, if they spare us, we'll live. But if they kill us, yeah, then we die. Like this, it's the same outcome. Might as well go over there and see what happens. Verse 5. At dusk, they got up and went out to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and they fled. They fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. Uh, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp. They entered one of the tents. They ate and they drank. <laughs> they took silver and gold and clothes and they went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things and hid them also. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait till daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. <clears throat> These dudes, they're like, they've been mistreated by society. Like they're, they're in a hard spot as lepers. They're also starving. They're going there to die, like be, be a slave basically or die. And then they find this, this food. Everyone's gone and they eat and they drink. And I, can you just imagine the party they're having? Like they were so happy. Uh, and their bellies are full. Then they hide some treasures. So now they're rich. 
and, and as they have these, this vast wealth, uh, they realize, this can't be just for me. This is the day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. We have to go tell the city. And so they go, and they tell the city, and, and things are good. Well, offering the gospel to others, it's like these lepers. We have this overwhelming good news that we can offer everyone. It is a treasure beyond our understanding, and people are starving. People need the good news. They're going to die without it, and we have it. And so, so we do it. We're eager about it uh, because we get to bless the world. Like We get to be like, how can we hold back this day of good news? Let's go out and tell others. So we want to be like these lepers. So what, <clears throat> if this is true, what causes shame? Like, what holds us back from sharing the gospel? Like, there's got to be a barrier. What is the barrier for us in sharing the gospel? And, and a number of these I've experienced personally. Some of them, as I've just talked to people, have seen, heard. Like, what stops people or makes people ashamed that keeps the gospel in? One, I think sometimes people think their, their friends don't need it. Like, that person's life is pretty good. And if I share the gospel, one, they're, they're not going to like me, they're going to whatever, but it's also just going to mess up their life. So... Uh, I'd, I'm not going to share uh, the gospel with them. We don't give them the chance. Uh, or another reason, they can think, people are going to be mad at me. It'll cost me a relationship. And it may. But if you love them, isn't it worth the risk? That, again, they're starving. And you have the meal. We can think, I don't have enough. I don't have enough knowledge. This will expose me as stupid. Like, I start to talk to them, like, they're going to see I'm dumb. And so there's an insecurity. And, and Paul says, Listen, that, that's not a reason. He said, this is my strategy. Here's how I went about it. He says, when I came to you, uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When I came to you, I did, not, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So your faith might not rest in human wisdom, but in God's power. He says, I didn't have to like manipulate you with my, like, I didn't have to like put you in a corner. I just told you the simple message of the gospel. And so you can take that to heart. It's like, I'm not smart enough. It's like, do you know the gospel? You're smart enough. And as they ask you questions at heart, you can say, I don't know. I'm happy to look, that, look into that for you. But this is the good news. And watch God's spirit work. The gospel of salvation. It's for all who believe. Another barrier can be like, well, if people know that I'm a Christian, they're going to look at me differently. They're going to judge me. Uh, and you're, you're right. I think they will. And so we don't want to tell people because then we'll be held to different standards. Like if we, um, if we complain, like that guy complains a lot for, for having the hope of the world inside of him. Uh, I mean, we lie. We tell bad jokes. We are late we, whatever, things that, that aren't going to represent Christ well, aren't going to give glory to God. And so we don't want people to know we're a Christian because then we'll have to change how we live. We're ashamed of the gospel to some degree. And, it, and when I say ashamed, there's also like an aspect of fear. Like I shared the, about the mission trip. Paul also says he did he did this with fear and trembling. He, when he preaches, he, he, he did it with fear and trembling. So it's not that being afraid, it's that, we're, it's that we decide the world is more important than the gospel. There's a difference. So being afraid is okay. It's what do you do with that fear? Are you afraid because you're afraid of man? And then do you, do you trust God with it? Or do you say, I'm too afraid. I can't go there. I can't do it. But you can. So how do we nurture eagerness? Like how do we build that thing up in us? 
And I would say daily preach the gospel to yourself and make it a goal that you tell others. So uh, the more the gospel is real to you, the more you're excited are to pass it on. And so if the gospel is kind of like, God saved me once and that was it, you're not going to be very compelled to tell others. But if every day you're remembering, like, man, like, there's a God who loves me. He loves me enough that this is, this is how he demonstrated. He demonstrated it at the cross. I screwed up again. I got to, oh, I don't need to earn it. I don't need to, like, try harder. Like, I can trust that God's already forgiven me that. So we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. And then make it a goal to tell others. Make it a goal to, to get over that fear. And goals are not uh, sinful. Like, they're, not, they're not bad. You know, Paul prayed all the time that he'd visit Rome. He had, I think I would say he had a goal to visit Rome. He didn't use that word, but, but setting goals is not inherently bad. It's actually really good. It can guide us and direct us if we say it open-handedly, but God, your will be done. And so make it a goal that you would tell others. And when I say others, that also means um, not just like out, like I'm going to cold turkey, go talk to somebody. I'm saying tell people in the church, remind Christians of the gospel. And there's probably some in your life you're like, I want to be talking with this person about the good news, the hope that I have. And so tell others. And so we're going to end with this simple reminder that Paul gives. And really, it's the gospel. <laughs> Verse 17, For in the righteous of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as written, the righteous will live by faith. Uh, so what is the gospel? Verse 17, it answers that in a sense. The righteous will live by faith. And Martin Luther, this was the verse that, that really started the Reformation. This, well, this was the answer. It started in Psalm 31, 1. Uh, Martin Luther, he was, he was meditating that. He, and it says, in thy righteousness, deliver me. Uh, in God's righteousness, deliver me. And he's like, how could I ever compare to the righteousness of God? Like how, like God is so righteous, I can't, like I'm always inadequate. My sin is always there. And so he would be condemned. And so as he was thinking about that, his mind eventually came to this passage in Romans. And he said, the righteous shall live by faith. And this opened up this, this, this new understanding to him, this, this whole area where it's like, yes, I'll never be righteous in my own works. Like I'm always, there's always be a barrier between me and God because I'm a sinner. But Jesus makes me righteous. I can actually be righteous because Jesus offers me the righteousness at the cross. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. We actually come, become totally right, totally pure, totally holy because of the blood of Christ. And so how do we receive that? Like how does someone, because not everyone is righteous by the blood of Christ, we receive it by faith. We say, God, I trust you. And that's what this says here. The righteous will live by faith. Faith in what? Faith that, that Jesus has paid our debt at the cross. Uh, and there's a confusing part to this too, I think. He says the righteous in God is real from faith to faith. As it's written, the righteous live by faith. So what does it mean? Like what kind of faith are we to have? This is saying um, from faith beginning to end. It's like amplifying faith. It says it's always about faith. It's all faith, entirely by faith. From, from faith first to last, the righteous will live by faith. And this is our hope, church. This is, our, this is what we, we look for. We put our faith in Christ and Christ alone. And so as we finish this, I hope that what you see is, is not uh, feeling a list of like, I have to be just like Paul or I have to do these things, but really you, you understand God loves you enough that he would send his son. And because of that love to you, and because you have something good to pass on, you want to pass it on. That it's, it's, a, it's a change in heart more than a change in action. But if there's things you want to harness, I would say nurture thankfulness with prayer. Prayer for the saints. Nurture humility by, by thinking, how does God made me? 
and then building that up. And then finally, nurture eagerness by preaching the gospel to yourself daily and then praying for a lost friend. Um, Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are so good to us. Lord, that what you give us is the power of salvation for all who believe, the good news. Lord, I pray that would be real in our own hearts today, that, that we would believe it and be excited about it. Lord, help us not be um, afraid, and we are afraid, Lord. I pray that we would then trust you in that too, Lord. I need your help to not be afraid. God, I pray that gospel ministry would be our whole life, not, not segmented aspects of life. To do any of these things, Lord, without your power would be impossible. And so we need your spirit to keep filling us. Help us to rely on you and not on our flesh. Pray us all in Jesus' name. Amen.